You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. everybody is doing well we welcome you to another episode if you don't like that today's show is brought to you by new works plumbing of sacramento whether it's leak detection water line repair plumbing repair bathroom plumbing new works is a full service plumbing solution no matter how small or how large your plumbing problem New Works has a fix for you. Just go to newworksplumbing.com for all of your plumbing needs. And remember, if you happen to have an emergency in the middle of the night, no problem. New Works will be there with their 24-7 service. That's newworksplumbing.com, N-E-W-W-R-X plumbing.com. Really have enjoyed the positive comments from Friday's podcast with Ryan in Sacktown. Ryan, of course, uh, trying to make a transition into the broadcasting business, and we talked about his background. We had a very interesting conversation uh, regarding the parenting of his seven-year-old son who is autistic, my sister, and we uh, really, uh, I just loved the conversation with Ryan, but I really enjoyed all the positive feedback that I have received. And it made me think about, you know, being in Ryan's shoes, albeit at a younger age. You know, I was very blessed. I knew I wanted to get into broadcasting at a very early age. I believe I tell the story of growing up with Christopher Mad Dog Russo. You know, Chris and I grew up around the corner from one another, and I've known Chris since really, I think, three years of age. I believe we went to a nursery school together in kindergarten and uh, through first grade, all the way through sixth grade, and then. Uh, Chris's parents uh, took Chris into uh, a private school, and I stayed in the uh, public schools of Syosset, New York, but have remained uh, very close friends with Chris to this day. As a matter of fact, I was fortunate to be with him for a couple days at his member guest golf tournament last month in Connecticut. But Chris and I knew at an early age our love for sports. Uh, We would you know, like all kids, make believe that we were professional athletes, but I was a little bit different. I made believe I was a professional athlete on the playgrounds, but I also would announce the games at the same time. And going to a Split Rock Elementary School that was right around the corner from where I grew up, and it was probably, oh, I don't know, maybe 250 to 300 yards away from my house. And for those that did not 
take the bus to school. You could leave school at lunch and go home and have lunch and come back to school. Uh, For those that took the bus to school, uh, they ate their lunch in school and then they were dismissed onto the playground. So I would run home. And my go-to was a grilled cheese sandwich, and we had a little grill, and I would make my own lunch. Really, in second and third grade, I would uh, make my lunch. I think I shared the story on a Friday of my sister and all the work that uh, was being done with my sister within the house. So my mom was so busy. You know, I was very uh, independent, and I made really my own meals uh breakfast and well, I didn't really eat a lot of breakfast but I would make my own lunch on a fairly regular basis and I would guzzle my food sometimes eat my food back on the way to split rock school and I would go on to the basketball court and reserve the basketball court for my friends that would soon be getting out uh, from their lunch break and we would play basketball until the bell rang to resume school and uh, I always would be playing and announcing at the same time And I remember doing that second grade, third grade, fourth grade. I mean, growing up, Marv Albert was an icon. Marv Albert was somebody that was uh, legendary even back then in the 60s as the voice of the Knicks, the New York Rangers. And Marv did the sports on the nightly news on WNBC TV Channel 4 in New York. And it was amazing because you could see Marv do the early sports. Then you would listen to Marv do the Rangers or the Knicks games at Madison Square Garden And then you would turn on the news at 11 o'clock and there's Marv Albert back in the studio at 30 Rock doing the sports for Channel 4 WNBC TV. It was amazing. He had an amazing schedule. And my dream was to become like an announcer like Marv Albert. You know, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be an announcer and do play-by-play like Marv. And I was so fortunate and so blessed through a friend uh, to meet Marv when I was in eighth grade. I went to a Knicks-Bulls game, and I'll never forget that because uh, the Bulls back then were such a a great franchise, and you couldn't get tickets to the Knicks when I was a kid. You just couldn't. I mean, the Knicks were the toughest ticket in town. You just could not get tickets to the Knicks. And if you could, they were out of my family's price range. My dad couldn't afford to go to a Knicks game. And uh, the family that introduced me to Marv Albert, uh, they were blessed. They had great seats. They were just a few rows off the floor. And I'll never forget the excitement of being at Madison Square Garden for a Knicks game and being that close to the floor, which I had never done before. And then I met Marv Albert before the game uh, through Dick McGuire. You know, if you remember the McGuire, Al McGuire, Frank McGuire, Dick McGuire. Uh, Dick McGuire was amazing. Dick McGuire used to be a a, a big-time scout. Uh, for the Knicks and then I mean I would see Dick McGuire all over the place I used to think there were multiple Dick McGuire's because I would see him wherever I was at and I would go wait a minute he was at the Syosset high school basketball game the night before now he's at this game then he's at that game and he used to be everywhere but anyway uh, through the uh, my friends Peter and Thomas Oaks uh, I got it very friendly with the McGuire's and that's how I had my introduction to Marv Albert and I'll never forget meeting Marv uh, just outside the concourse of Madison Square Garden when I was in eighth grade. I remember what I was wearing. I remember going through the process of what I was going to wear. And uh, Marv could not have been nicer to me. And it was an absolute thrill uh, beyond belief uh, to meet the legendary voice of the Rangers and the Knicks. And the reason why I'm talking about this is, you know, Ryan's very appreciative for what, you know, I've done for him. And what Ryan doesn't know is I've done this for many 
aspiring broadcasters because I believe in paying it forward and I believe in making time for those that have shown interest in broadcasting. There are many a times when I would be contacted by students about broadcasting and I would have them come down to the studios in Sacramento and I would have them sit in at the studio and watch me do my show. And there were a couple of students that I actually put on the radio with me. And I'm like, come on, let's talk. All right, you want to get into broadcasting? Here's your opportunity. You're going to come on with me and we're going to talk for 15 or 20 minutes. And I believed in doing that. If I thought that the individual could succeed in this business, I was like, well, we're going to find out right now what a thrill it would be. And I used to love doing that. I, I would do that on multiple occasions. And I can't tell you how gratifying that was for me to see the euphoria on a young person's face and know whether or not they could make it or not. And, you know, I think this is true of most professions. I think when you talk with a young individual, you know within one minute whether they have a real chance of succeeding in that line of work. Quite frankly, uh, I've been pretty blessed by the students that have contacted me. I can't remember other than maybe one instance where I said to myself, gee, I really feel bad for this individual. They have no chance and they're not going to make it. Uh, I've really been contacted by aspiring broadcasters who after talking with them and meeting with them and putting them on the air with me, I was like, well, they're going to do very well for themselves. And many of them have. And I stay in touch with many of those students. But back to, you know, meeting Marv Albert uh, about, I guess it was two years, maybe three years after meeting Marv. And I'm sure Marv didn't remember meeting me. I mean, Marv meets tons of people. I sent Marv a cassette of some play-by-play that I had done on my own. And like most people, I sent it to, you know, my my iconic mentor, role model, call it whatever you want. And I never thought that I would receive a response. I sent it to uh, Channel 4 in New York. And guess what? A couple of weeks later, I get an envelope from WNBC-TV, Channel 4 in New York, with a letter from Marv Albert that he had typed out on the typewriter that he would type out his scripts for the sports because the font was larger, which is what they used back then for the teleprompter. And it was about a page and a quarter. And Marv could not have been nicer. I could tell that he had listened to my work, gave me some pointers, told me to work on my nuances, uh, told me to keep my dreams alive, that he liked my inflection of my voice, my energy, and to keep doing what I was doing. And to receive that type of energy from Marv, that type of positive reinforcement, that just was something that meant the world to me. And then a few years later, when I was at Bowling Green in college, uh, I had a friend that knew uh, Jim McKay, of course, the great, great, great sports, I guess, anchor, host. I just call him legendary on ABC Y World of Sports. And of course, Jim McKay probably had as good of a, I did as good of a job as anybody in the history of broadcasting at the tragedy at the Munich Olympics when Jim McKay had to go from Olympic host to basically news anchor on site in Munich, Germany, and he was uh, stupendous. To me, to this day, it's one of the great, great 
jobs of journalism that I've ever witnessed. Uh, Jim McKay's real name was Jim McManus. And I didn't know that until I got a return letter from him, handwritten, by the way, on his personal stationery, talking about my work. Again, gave me uh, some nice uh, pointers, but most importantly, gave me positive reinforcement, which I took to heart as I was in college. And little did I know that in a couple of years, I would be well on my way to a career that has been unbelievably rewarding. And so when I talk to aspiring broadcasters like Ryan and so many others, I would be disappointed if they told me that others in this line of work did not get back to them and did not try to help them. Because quite frankly, I don't know if I would have succeeded without that type of I guess a vote of confidence from those like Marv Albert. I never would have succeeded had it not been for internships that were provided to me through Bowling Green State University. And the one internship I did in my junior year turned my life around as I did a internship at a local radio station in Bowling Green. Uh, they gave me my own sports magazine show twice a week, 15 minutes that I produced and hosted I did everything. I was in charge of the content. I edited it. I did everything. And to be a junior in college and be able to do a show like that twice on a commercial radio station, I look back and say it was a, it was a stepping stone to my career. And then Glenn Cerny, who was the owner of the radio station, had uh, one small child and his wife, Sue, was getting ready to give birth to another child. And Glenn had heard me do hockey before, thought I was excellent in doing hockey. And the road trips in hockey were on a Friday and Saturday. You would have a two-game series. And there were a couple trips to the Upper Peninsula in Michigan that Glenn didn't go on because of his wife, Sue, just giving birth. And they had a newborn. And so Glenn sent me on a couple trips. I remember my first trip going up to... Marquette, Michigan, to do the Bowling Green Northern Michigan games. And both were powerhouses in hockey. And, you know, Bowling Green was a national powerhouse. They Many of their players went on and played in the National Hockey League, including my uh, real close friend today, George McPhee, who played for the Rangers, the Devils, the Jets, uh, put together the Washington Capitals that went on and won the Cup, and then was uh, the man that Las Vegas hired when they started their inaugural season, and George put together that entire team. So Bowling Green was a heck of a hockey school, and there was nothing more thrilling for me than going up and doing hockey. I did the pregame. I announced the game by myself. I would record interviews for in-between periods, and I did the postgame. It was a true one-man band, and I would go to WKIQ before the bus left, 10-hour bus trip to uh, Marquette, Michigan, and I would put my equipment in the little box and I would make sure and I would double check and I would triple check and I would quadruple check and I would go over and over and over again because you didn't want to get somewhere and not have the proper equipment or have something that was broken and not be able to do the games. So uh, it was all part of the growing experience. But along the way, there were others that I would reach out to, including those like Glenn Cerning and uh, others that would give me advice 
and help me out because no matter how good you think you may be, no matter what your dreams are, if you don't get positive reinforcement along the way from people that view your work, you could be shot down in a hurry. I mean, this is an extremely difficult profession to break through and climb the ladder, especially if you want to do play-by-play, because if you want to do play-by-play in the NBA, there are only 30 jobs. It's the same in hockey. And if you want to do play-by-play for a local NFL team, there are only 32 jobs. And I think you get my point. There are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of aspiring broadcasters that all want these few jobs. And when you get a job like that, you do everything in your power to hold on a job like that. And I was blessed that I was able to do that for 32 years. And I was blessed that I was able to do the National Hockey League and do some games. I was blessed that I could do the Raiders uh, preseason games on TV for five years. So I look back, though, on my career, I look back at aspiring broadcasters like Ryan and so many others and paying it forward. I'll tell you, if I meet somebody in this business that does not pay forward, that's too good or their ego is such that they don't have time for the young men and women that are trying to evolve their careers, then shame on them. Shame on them. I've told the story many times about watching Chick Hearn and how he dealt with the fans after games. And, you know, I dealt with Chick coming up to me the first time I was ever at the great Western Forum to do the Kings and the Lakers, which, I mean, you can't even imagine what a thrill that would have been for me at that age. You know, I was young. I was going to do a game that had Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and James Worthy. And I mean, I think I'm at the great Western Forum in Los Angeles. Are you kidding me? And it was one of the few arenas in the league where we did not announce from the floor. And we were up high at the great Western Forum. And I was so excited, like always. And I was at the game hours before the game. But I wasn't there before Chick Hearn. Nope, Chick was there before me. And Chick was going through his work. And uh, all of a sudden... You know, in an empty arena up top in the broadcast booth, Chick Hearn walks up to me, shakes my hand, said, hi, I'm Chick Hearn. It's nice to meet you. I said, Chick, it's an absolute honor. My name's Grant Napier. I'm the new announcer. And Chick could not have been nicer to me. And I'll never forget. He said, listen, if you need anything at all, you don't hesitate to ask. You're our guest. It's a pleasure to have you here. And he said, I wish you the best of luck. And I always tell the story of interviewing Chick many times on my radio show, particularly, you know, during the great runs of the Kings and the Lakers. And Chick never said no when I wanted him to come on my radio show. And the last time I ever had Chick on my show was, I believe it was the 2002 series between the Kings and the Lakers. And I interviewed Chick courtside on my radio show. And Chick said, and I don't know if Chick says this to every person he goes on with he probably does because chick was the epitome of class but he said i just want to say something before i'm off here because i said chick thank you very much it's a pleasure for coming on he said hey grant i just would like to say something and he said i just want sacramento to know how lucky they are to have you as their announcer and he spoke about me for like 30 seconds and i'm listening to chick and i'm looking at him and i'm just like Chick Hearn is speaking this way about me. He doesn't have to. He may not even believe that. But he just wants to build me up in front of my audience. Do you know what that's like? Do you know what it's like to sit there and have a godlike figure say that 
I mean, it really doesn't get any better than that. And again, growing up in New York, I didn't even know who Chick Hearn was until later in life because we didn't have the internet. We didn't have the ability to listen to the Lakers. And, you know, Chick Hearn to me wasn't anyone that I really learned a lot about until later in life. And what I mean later in life, I'm talking about when I was in college and, you know, really after college and, you know, the great Showtime Lakers of the 80s. And then you would hear Chick's voice. And, you know, again, you have to understand pre-internet, pre-cell phone, pre-all of that. You know, you didn't have the ability like you have today to listen to anyone you want anywhere in the country. So, you know, you talk about learning certain things. You know what I learned from Chick Hearn? I learned that you always make time for the fans. You know, you always will try to make another colleague of yours feel very special and important. And Chick taught me those things. I mean, you could not have learned from a more iconic figure, one of the great basketball announcers in the history of the NBA than Chick Hearn. So I appreciate all the comments from Friday's show. I appreciate Ryan and, you know, his gratitude towards me. But I, I, I would never say no to an aspiring broadcaster. And I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back. I'm not like that. I'm really not. What I'm saying is if there are broadcasters out there that don't pay it forward, then shame on them. All right, because my career, there are certain instances that I can look back in my career and say, if it weren't for this, if it weren't for that, I would have never made it. You know, I tell the story, the first time I was ever on television was the California Bowl with Bowling Green and Fresno State in the early 80s. And I was already graduated from college and I was working as a sales executive at WKIQ and sports director. I was doing everything. I was the morning DJ. I did sales during the day and I would announce a lot of the games with the various Bowling Green sports at night. And Bowling Green made it to the California Bowl. And my dad's mixed doubles tennis partner was uh, incredible. Uh, She was a great lady, but her husband was Vic Piano. Vic Piano owned the Mislu Sports Network. The Mislu Sports Network was basically ESPN before ESPN came on board. They did a lot of the bowl games on the Mislu Sports Network. And Vic Piano had always told my dad, yeah, if there's anything we can do for Grant, let me know, blah, blah, blah. So Bowling Green gets to the California Bowl, and Mislu Sports Network is televising a California Bowl, and I call up Vic Piano, and we talk for a few moments, and he gives me the executive producer's number, and again, his name was Bill Schwing. I remember it like it was yesterday, and I call up Bill Schwing, and I go, Mr. Schwing, how are you? My name is Grant Napier. Uh, Vic Piano gave me your number. Uh, this is my background, and I just want to know if there's anything that I might be able to do for the uh, California Bowl. And Vic says to me, well, we're going to have a meeting on Friday night at this time at this hotel in Fresno. Uh, Come to the meeting. I'm like, wow. Now, WKIQ did all the Bowling Green football games except for the California Bowl because we were not the official station of Bowling Green football. We were the official station of basketball and hockey, but not football. So because of that, the other station in town had exclusivity. So we were not allowed to broadcast on radio the California Bowl between Bowling Green and Fresno State. So after Vic Piano told me that, I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I was able to scrap up enough money, thanks to my dad, I'm sure, 
because I was only making, I think, $227 every two weeks at that job in Bowling Green, Ohio. Yes, that's what I was making. And I flew out to California, had never been to California before. And I show up in Fresno and I go to the meeting and I'm sitting there. And at the end of the meeting, Bill Schwing goes, I'm sorry, now who are you again? And I said, Grant Napier. And he goes, oh yeah, you know. He says, what is it that you want? I said, well, I don't know. I don't know if there's, if there's anything I can do, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, well, you know, this is national television, right? I said, yes, sir. He said, I actually would like you to be able to do the halftime show so I can give my announcer, who was Howard David, who was later the uh, voice of the Nets, the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Howard did the uh, Westwood One Monday Night Football. So, you know, they had a big time announcer and Howard David. He goes, I would like to give Howard a break. And so what I would like to do is give you an audition before the game. He goes, you understand I'm running a business here. I just can't let you on the air. And I said, Mr. Piano, I completely understand that. If you give me an audition and I'm not good enough, then I completely understand. So I get there. I'm in my suit three hours before the game. And they're having all types of technical difficulties. And I'm in the broadcast booth standing in the back watching Howard David and his analyst. And I still do not know if I'm going to be doing halftime or not because I never got a chance to do an audition because they were having technical difficulties almost up until game time. So finally, with about five minutes left to go in the half, I talked to the stage manager doing a commercial. I said, hey, could you please ask uh, Bill if I'm going to be doing the halftime or not? And she comes back to me. She goes, okay, you're going to do halftime. And she goes, Bill wants you to interview the commissioner of the conference and then just go over some quick stats and highlights. I'm like, okay. Now, you have to understand, this is national TV. I have never been on television before. Never. I've made believe I was on TV my whole life, but I've never been on television before. So there I am at the California Bowl, Mislu Sports Network, and it is the debut of Grant Napier. So I interview the commissioner, who I remember his name, Jim Lessig. I interview Jim for a couple of minutes. I then do like two or three highlights, read the stats. Boom, Grant Napier. Done with his TV debut. And at the end of the game, I'm walking out of the stadium. And it just so happens that at the same time, Bill Schwing comes out of the TV truck. And he says, Grant! And he's very, very loud. Oh, my God. We were so effing nervous in the truck. He goes, but you did a hell of a job. He goes, thank you. And I said, no, thank you very much. He goes, I wish you the very best in your career. You're going to do great. I said, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I'll never forget the weekend because I was flying home the next day and I wake up on Sunday morning and you could not even see any cars in a parking lot, that thick Thule fog in the valley. So my flight was canceled because I was supposed to go from Fresno to San Francisco and then fly from San Francisco back to, I believe, Detroit and then drive back down to Bowling Green. So I drive to San Francisco. I rent a car, and it's Sunday now, right? It's in December. And I get through the valley, and I end up in San Jose, and there is not a cloud in the sky. Palm trees everywhere. It's green everywhere. And I just realize that the 49ers are playing the Atlanta Falcons 
on Sunday night football, and I had been rebooked on a flight on a red eye from San Francisco. And so I take my car that I had rented, and I drive through San Francisco, and I drive over the Golden Gate Bridge. There is not a cloud in the sky. It is beautiful. It's 65 degrees. I've got the windows down on the car. And I end up going on that road above the Golden Gate Bridge. And then it kind of winds all the way up to the top. And then when you go down, it almost looks like you're falling into the ocean. And I will never forget that drive as long as I live. And then I go to the stick and I park the car. I don't have a ticket and I don't have a lot of money now. And I end up going into the game for free. This guy sees me there and he said, hey, are you looking for a ticket for the game? I said, yes, I am. And he said, here, just take my ticket. You don't have to pay me anything. And he could not have been nicer. The tickets were great. We were on the lower level on the 40-yard line. He was there with his wife and son. He had one extra ticket. And he was talking to me about, you know, what I was doing. And, you know, Atlanta with, I think it was uh, Bartkowski and William Andrews was the running back. And, I mean, it was freaking amazing to be at Candlestick Park at the 49ers and the Falcons game. But that's what I remember from that weekend. And then a couple of months later, I'm uh, back in Bowling Green. I run into Jim Tishy, the sports director at the ABC station in Toledo, and Jim says, I didn't know you did TV. I said, I didn't know I did TV either. He says, well, listen, I got six weeks vacation. My weekend guy's filling in for me. I need someone to fill in on the weekends this summer. Would you be interested in coming up and doing an audition? I said, sure. And I remember it very well because it was my birthday, June 18th, 1983. Never been in a TV station before. And I did an audition. And Jim calls me the next day and said, hey, they really like what you did. We'd love to have you, but I can only pay you $5 an hour. I said, that's fine. No problem. Well, the radio station during that time had been sold to a Spanish format. Glenn Cerny sold the station. Boom, I'm back living in New York on Long Island. I'm unemployed, don't have a job. And Mike Regai, who went on to be the TV voice of the Cavaliers, he was the weekend sports anchor, would call me sometimes on a Thursday night and go, Napes, can you work this weekend? I'm like, yep. And I'd get in my car, and I would drive 10 hours in my little Subaru hatchback, no air conditioning, not that that mattered. And I would drive to Bowling Green, stay at Glenn Cerny's house, and then go 20 minutes to Toledo to do the five-minute sportscast on Saturday, five-minute sportscast on Sunday. And I did that for, I don't know, six to nine months until I could get a resume tape to send out. And that's how I ended up getting my first full-time job in television. And I had great times. You know, I told you this Sparky Anderson story, interviewing Sparky when the Tigers had that incredible run to win the World Series, the Toledo Mud Hens with Kirby Puckett and the entire team that went on to win the World Series with the Twins. But, you know, I'm going full circle here. I just wanted to let you know that along the way, there are certain individuals that you look at that shaped your life. And those that I reached out to early in my career for positive reinforcement, advice, what have you, without those people, I really don't know if I would have succeeded in my career. I just don't think I would have had the same opportunities with the same drive and everything else. So when I hear Ryan, when I hear so many others, uh, I just want to say thank you for that feedback 
on Friday with the podcast. But again, I've said this two or three times already, and I'll close today's uh, first part of the show by stating this. If there are those in this business that are on air, behind the scenes, or what have you, when a young, aspiring broadcaster, producer, director reaches out for some advice, some reinforcement, whatever the case may be, if you're not there for that individual, then shame on you. Shame on you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is now time for our Crowd Ultra Q&A. Just go to CrowdUltra.com and maybe I'll answer your question on Friday's podcast. Ron wants to know, are you surprised Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't joined a new team yet? Yeah, I guess the latest rumor is Seattle looking at him. I, I don't know why Seattle would not try to get Garoppolo. I mean, you're going to go with Drew Locke. You're going to go with Geno Smith? Uh, it doesn't make sense to me. So I am a little surprised, Ron. Of course, he hasn't started throwing yet, uh, although everyone expects him to make a complete recovery and have no issues. Charlie wants to know, will the Cardinals make the playoffs without DeAndre Hopkins for six games? I don't think they will. I mean, look at the, the difference with and without Hopkins last year. Kyler Murray looked lost last year. So, Charlie, I'm going to say no, they will not. Bryce asks, is there a player you ever wished – had joined the Kings. Yeah, I wish Michael Jordan had joined the Kings, Price. That would have been great. But no, not really. Not really. Uh, Rich says, do you see a Kyrie Westbrook trade happening? I don't, Rich. I wouldn't be shocked if it did happen. But no, I don't. Martin wants to know, is John Wall going to improve the Clippers? If John Wall is healthy... I think he can improve the Clippers. I don't think he's going to be like one of their main guys. He's not. But yes, I think he could help the Clippers uh, if he is healthy. Absolutely. Keith wants to know, was James Harden's pay cut enough to acquire a good player? I think it's enough to help the franchise, Keith. Whether or not you can acquire a good player, I don't know. But I think it would help. Yes, I think it's going to help the franchise. Absolutely. Sam wants to know, do you think Trevor Lawrence could have a breakout season? I do. You know, now you have stability on the coaching Uh, He's got a year under his belt. So I would expect him to have a very, very good season. Is that a breakout season? Uh, If that's the way you define it, then yes, I think it could happen. Absolutely. Just go to CrowdUltra.com, and maybe I'll answer your question on my next podcast. It's time for What a joke the NBA Summer League is. So you're telling me that the number one pick in the draft, all right, Paolo Bancaro, taken by the Orlando Magic, has been shut down after two games. How stupid is that? Really? 
We're shutting down the number one pick in the draft. And you know what? This is becoming more and more trendy as Summer League progresses. I mean, what's the purpose of Summer League? Like, why the hell is everyone going out to Las Vegas to watch NBA basketball? It's not really NBA basketball. NBA Summer League basketball if you can't watch the top draft picks. All right? And you know, it's gonna, other teams are going to follow suit. And pretty soon, you know, when you get to the final few games, you're going to have players playing that you've never heard of before. It's just ridiculous. You're going to not have the guy play because you're saying you want to look at other players? No, you don't. You're scared of him getting hurt. You're petrified that something bad's going to happen, so you're not going to play him. Screw the national TV. Screw the NBA Summer League. Screw all the people that, you know, spend their money to go out to watch these young draft picks. And let's not kid anyone, all right? The reason why fans go to Summer League are to watch the lottery picks. That's it. Without the lottery picks, they're not going to watch that crap because that's what it is. It's boring, boring basketball. You go to watch the names that were drafted in the lottery. That's why you watch Summer League. So here we are. Ben Carroll will not play anymore in Summer League. How many teams will follow suit? I'm counting. We'll have an update for you on Friday's show. And that's my rant for today. And that is my podcast for today. Appreciate you listening. Hope you have a fabulous day. And again, Thank you so much for joining me here. If you don't like that, with Grant Napier. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.